0: Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella and the world messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. And today it is indeed very much so epic. I'm having the guest that is joining me from Florida, but he is originally from New York. And as you guys know, I love New Yorkers. You can tell with my background here. But in the same time, he's someone who has the most fascinating story. From early beginnings and to major major disruptions that he's doing right now he's known as jay nasdaq he's been on major outlets he's working with some of the top artists and uh, brands and entertainment space and whatnot but the best part he's humble as it gets and super wicked smart and i cannot wait for you guys to hear what he has to say so without further ado please welcome jason spenson jason welcome (laughs)
1: Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Isabella, I truly appreciate this opportunity to come into your house and talk a little bit about my uh, wacky journey, you know, into uh, various different uh, environments. And a quick sidebar, the Jade Nasdaq reference, uh, that is from my music industry days. When you're in the music business, and you're dealing with hip-hop artists, you always need, you know, a handle. So my dad actually gave me that handle, Jay Nasdaq, because I opened up my marketing firm on Wall Street in 1998. And so I needed a handle. And, you know, I just wanted to be Jason Swanson, my real name, but dealing with, you know, rappers working like for DMX and Jay-Z and all those guys, you know, they, you know, you didn't call them, you know, Earl Simmons and, you know, and Sean Carter. So, you call them by their handle. So I um, my dad gave me the whole J Nasdaq handle because I was on Wall Street and he was like, you know what, you know, you're dealing with artists that are equivalent to blue chip stocks because they go platinum. So why don't you just, you know, you know, make your last name Nasdaq. And it just basically stuck with me for years and years. Until I went back to what I love, and it's tech. And so, you know, in technology or in the tech industry, you have to <laughs> use your real name, which is awesome. I love my name. I'm working <laughs> for my last name, not my first. So, thank you very much, Isabella, for having me.
0: Absolutely, and thank you for sharing and clarifying that because that was my next question and that was fantastic because obviously you come from entertainment space and you're also coming uh, from innovative technology space and you found find ways how to merge those two labs together like nobody else in the digital footprint space. So I cannot wait for audience and listeners to have a chance to hear all about. But before we depict that, do you mind sharing a little bit about your... You grew up in a city that transformed so much and changed in these recent decades, right? Uh, What was your life like? Because you grew up, I believe in Bronx, right? And then expanded to other verbs and then obviously uh, learn about hip hop and some major, major um, industry era that was shaping the culture. So do you wanna share a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Um, and just to clarify, um, the the Bronx reference on uh, my my so my dad's family, uh, we all come out of the Bronx When we say we all I physically come out of Harlem, which is south Haarlem. of the Bronx. Haarlem. Right. Yes. Harlem. And uh, as Harlemites, we love we love our culture because, you know, it's uh, it's full of life. It's full of music and fashion and just style. You know, the Harlem Renaissance is definitely part of, you know, uh, Black history and pop culture, and so when you're talking about Harlem and you're talking about the creativity that came out of it, and the great writers like you know uh, Richard Wright and Ralph Ellison, and um, you know the great uh, historians like uh, librarians like Schomburg, uh, Harlem has a lot of uh, roots of creativity and just a lot of great essence. And so uh, I'm always I'm always proud to tell people that I come from Harlem, uh, and my mom. My mom is from Spanish Harlem, which is on the east side of Harlem, and Harlem spans uh, like 50 blocks. Literally, that's how that's the size of Harlem, just 50 city blocks. And so my dad uh, came from the west side of Harlem. And uh, yeah, my upbringing was very um, traumatic, just to be frank, only because, you know, when you live in those particular environments, you are close to um, crime, police brutality, you're close to uh, everything under the sun that would, that would lead uh, you know, an average kid into a traumatic psychosis, equivalent to a war veteran coming back from the war, because there's constant, there's just constant things that are going on that are, that are detrimental to the, psych, to the psychology of a growing child. Um, and what basically kind of saved me a little bit was the mere fact that my family were all into education. Uh, my mom, my dad, uh, as well as uh, the, the elders in my neighborhood, even though we had those various different uh, elements uh, that were distract, distracting, uh, because I was sheltered, I, they kept me sheltered, literally, like from 10 to 13, I was sheltered. Uh, prior to me uh, migrating to Harlem, we, we lived in a place called Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea is, uh, was a very diverse, still is, very diverse community. Uh, my mom Uh, And, you know, she exposed me to um, a plethora of of ethnicities living in Chelsea. So I was exposed to, you know, um, science fiction writers like Isaac Asimov, who now who they just now Apple TV just launched their his uh, TV show called Foundation. So he's like a world world renowned science fi writer that's dead now. And at six years old, I was feeding seeds to pigeons with Isaac Asimov because I lived in Chelsea. So it allowed me to have this particular, uh, uh, this exposure to a different type of intellect or intellectual. Uh, And my mom at the time was working uh, as a a, uh, data analyst for a tech company. And so I was exposed at the age of six to to computers and, uh, and mainframes. And so when I got to Harlem and I was, you know, basically jolted into a different type of environment, my family said, listen, we have to keep Jason uh, laser focused. And so they kept me, you know, uh, literally laser focused and had me in various different uh, programs that excelled, uh, that, excuse me, not excelled, that, um, expand my mind. And so I was reading, I was 13, reading on a college level, and I was able to enter college programs at 13 years old. In fact, I entered the first STEM program at NYU called uh, the Science and Technology Entry Program at 13 years old. So I physically entered college at 13. And then by 15, I started taking uh, classes at Columbia University, which is a prestigious uh, college as well. And uh, those experiences really uh, led me to the person I am today because I was able to get that, uh, that, that experience, excuse me, that exposure to, to a different type of group of different types of group of people, excuse me. And uh, it was awesome. And I was able to, from there, just uh, land an internship at what was called a multimedia studio back then. And I learned uh, how to uh, game develop. Uh, do ver we call it virtual VR, AR today. I literally was creating um uh, avatars back in nineteen ninety three at the age of seventeen, listening to the chronic and eating cheese it so if you can imagine that <laughs> that's what I was doing <laughs> and um it was it was awesome, but the problem was was that you know uh tech companies back then and major corporations entertainment hubs that were that needed that type of skill set weren't hiring. You know, kids from the ghetto. <laughs> you had to have a college degree, even though you had the skill set. So, you know, my dreams were basically shattered to be, you know, an engineer or an animator for like a major, you know, Hollywood studio. So, what I did was, um, I basically uh, started doing graphic designing for local, you know, businesses uh, because I learned graphic designing there as well, uh, and um, and I got a, I got a, a, an opportunity to do some graphic designing for um, uh, Charles Huggins. Charles Huggins was a a world renowned uh, manager of the singer Melba Moore. So I started to do graphic designing for him. And uh, that led to me meeting people over at Bad Boy. And and the list just goes on and on. And then I really was sucked into the music business. And from graphic designing, I was able to uh, learn because back in those days in the 90s, it was like literally like, asking your friend, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a marketer. Oh, I'm doing (laughs) graphics marketing. Right. And so people would teach you. So um, I got swept into uh, learning marketing, but I already had the skill set of understanding uh, uh, mainframes and and databases on the back end because I was already into computers. However, people didn't need that back then. They were literally breaking records uh, on, you know, by aggressively sending them to all the radio stations. And that's how they tracked spins for artists, and that's how the artists got paid royalties, right? Uh, until Napster hit, so I was able to uh, I was able to uh, open up my own marketing firm because I, you know, I figured out. I said, you know what? I really understand how to market artists. And uh, my cousin called me up, and he still he's still in my life today. His name was Two XL. He's like, you know, six seven. <laughs> but we're both we're both nerds from Uptown, right, from Harlem.
0: Wow. And um, he
1: was like, you know, hey, listen, I got this, uh, you know, this uh, office space down on Wall Street. It's, the, it's on, it's you know, in the it's in the the office space was in the oldest building on Wall Street, 80 Wall Street. And so imagine two black black young black kids from Harlem, young black man from Harlem, <laughs> coming down and just like you know, opening up an office on Wall Street, and we started our market marketing firm called Wall Street Promotions and Marketing. And uh, because I had the tech knowledge and I understood marketing, uh, we literally started to uh, venture out and recruit uh, high school and college students, as well as ex-gang members, um, and just people from the inner city all over the Tri-State area to physically work for us as marketers. Uh, because we had uh, contracts with various different record labels and lit. That's how, you know, my journey started in the music business. Uh, and then of course, Napster hit when Napster hit, you know, a lot of people got scared in the music industry, especially with file sharing. And at that time, the only, the only uh, uh, search engine was net, Netscape, net- net- Netscape navigator, excuse me, it wasn't Google. And the only uh, social the network, Google era, right. And the only social network that was uh, that was literally remotely alive was um, was Friendster. And so nobody was really doing any of that. So what we did was we started to pitch to the record labels. Hey, listen, we can, you know, with our uh, 1,200, you know, 200 employee uh, database, we can have them go online and start talking about the artists in various different uh chat rooms on AOL and so we started the beginnings of what we now call social media back then it was called digital strategy and I was able to physically take the information or the data uh, from us talking and our staff talking to various different uh, hip-hop consumers and R&B consumers in these AOL chat rooms I was able to take that data uh, and package it and uh, and present it to the uh, vice president of music, uh, the record labels we had contracts with, and that's literally how we became rock stars. And uh, it it really carved out a, a different type of business model for me. For the we're talking about the next twenty years, and uh, within twenty years, I was able to uh, hip hop, the music industry, you know, uh, allowed me to live a life that I wanted to live overseas and uh, and promote eighty platinum artists. So that's a little bit about where I come from. (laughs) And if you want, you know, how I, how I came up as a youngster, but that's, that's, that was basically it in a nutshell. It was all, it was an awesome journey. Awesome.
0: I can see that. And for someone so quickly to dial in into business and understand what's the business all about, I'm sure you had some mentors and, and people along the side to guide you and support you just to be able to disrupt um, and, and also find the space. As you said, young uh, Black men in part of the business industry in New York uh, and and, and heart of where we're just like largest corporations, you know, operating and, and, and then creating billions and billions of dollars, I'm sure was in some ways intimidating, but also amazing ride, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you mind sharing what is your philosophy? How did you get into that mindset? I mean, so early you are ahead of the curve and you continue to be ahead of the curve, which we'll get in a second, what are you currently doing and how you're disrupting something sure. major the mobile scene. But how did you get that mindset?
1: Uh, it's funny you ask that Isabella because a lot of people always ask me that um, question, honestly. Um, it's, it's, it comes from having a very strong family unit uh, and to be grounded and so when I was going to these various different institutions, NYU Columbia University, at a very early age, my mom and my grandmother and my dad would give me uh, books re- with regards to you know, uh, you know, my community and my race on what great black men did before me. And uh, it gave me the impetus and it gave me the tough skin to walk into various different environments that were predominantly white or predominantly Asian and specifically in tech spaces or even marketing spaces and be confident to, uh, to speak my mind without you know, being intimidated or feeling subservient. So it, it really came from that particular upbringing and that tutelage of my family unit uh, being part of the civil rights movement um, taking money to the freedom fighters and saying, "Hey, listen, we we are Americans. We we uh, literally built this country, and you deserve to be in every room that you're going, uh, and uh, that you're going into rather." And so, I was able to stay focused because every time I went back home, it was always a conversation of what did you learn, you know. Uh, it was constant sh- training. Uh, I actually started drinking coffee at the age of thirteen because when I got into that program, and I was the only I was I was the second. It was only two of us. Two of us meaning two black kids in the program. Everybody was um, either white or Asian. Uh, and so, it, you know, I would come back home, and it would it would be the constant. You know, make sure you read three three chapters ahead. So you know, so when the professor asks you the question, you know, so that you don't make your your race look crazy or look like you don't know what you're talking about because you have you know, 30 plus million black people on your shoulder. So that particular type of, uh, of mentorship, that tutelage, that upbringing uh, came from my family unit who marched and said, hey, we represent each one of us and we don't need to look like, we don't know what we're talking about. We have to have integrity. And if you're growing up to be a man like my father my father literally raised me to be a man's man and you have to stand on your two feet and uh, and uh, you're only as good as you were and that's literally you know the mindset that i was that i you know i grew up understanding and knowing and then the last part was having giants in my community uh not the average pimp or the average drug dealer you would see that had money the giants the, the intellectual giants from my community and I'm not talking about the Black politicians, not to say that they're not intellectual, but they weren't the giants that my family uh, infrastructure wanted me to see. It was the uh, the African and the Black American historians that told, the it's called Griot, the storytelling of the past. And uh, I was able to physically sit at 13 years old at City College at night with my mom, my grandmother, and. Uh, Watch these great African and Black American historians talk about uh, various different kings and queens that ruled the their African countries during the time that Christopher Columbus discovered America. So it gave me, you know, it gave me some type sense of pride of where I came from. And then the great abolitionists, like you know Frederick Douglass, that fought for us. Uh, You know, Crispus Attucks. Uh, women like sojourner truth uh, these giants were t- were teaching me my history and so now when someone would uh ask me a question with regards to uh you know our history black american history i was able to give them the answer that came from uh afrocentric perspective as opposed to a eurocentric perspective and, uh, yes. and- that's what, that's what I, I took with me. So when I got into the music industry, when I got into the hip hop industry, which is comprised of a bunch of, of uh, African-Americans, uh, Africans and Caribbean people that, uh, that don't know the history, I was able to regurgitate what I learned and, and, you know, and still market them, but, you know, have these deep seated conversations because at the end of the day, I realized that a lot of, a lot of my people um, were disenfranchised or mentally fragmented. And uh, you know, I wanted to do something about it, and that was basically it. So that's how I stay focused.
0: That is brilliant, and I love how you were able to maximize everything what you were given from your uh, obviously upbringing at home, from teachers, from people in your community, but also to to the level of responsibility that you took it on. And that resonates so much with me. And one thing I wanted to just to highlight so that we're not missing this huge point here for everybody watching and listening. Jason shared his upbringing and how he felt like equally equivalent of being in a war zone because of dynamics and what was happening and going on at, at the time. And someone who'd been in a war zone, someone who worked with people from over 120 countries have being exposed to worst possible uh, human atrocities. Um, I can't even imagine how little, like why is this still happening? And why is happening period specifically in America? and country that we all strive to feel like to reach our American dream, right? And also when we feel like we're, we will have so much freedom, and, but yet we still have these level of experiences, let alone with people that are coming from those experiences in, in the US and then finding so many things that they are being shocked and they don't understand how to navigate. But then also flip side, what you just said, how did you leverage um, not only to take responsibility for your own action, but representation with pride, with honor, with integrity of who you are and what and what you are all about and what you stand for. So yeah. you're also a huge global humanitarian, which I absolutely love. And that's one of the main reasons I sort of these amazing accomplishments, obviously, why I want you to be on the Legacy Leader Show and others to hear how is it possible to overcome all these barriers? And mm-hmm. find the path forward. So, do you mind sharing how did you got into being a global a humanitarian and, and seeing the mm-hmm. bigger vision? Obviously, helping Black African American community in U.S., but also African community and other parts of the world.
1: Well, um, thank you, thank you for for that question, Isabella. Um, it's literally it goes back to the upbringing, you know, um, and from what my grandmothers and my aunts instilled. In me, my aunt had a fledging, uh, very, very uh, popular. and I don't want to sound cliche, but it was a popular not for profit down in Greensboro, North Carolina, in which she helped you know black kids uh, you know get education, and um, you know the conversations was always uh, you know do not forget that you represent us, and always if you see uh, one of us in need, always you know help them, but because I was exposed to a diverse group of people that didn't see race at a very early age in my life living in Chelsea, which was not predominantly comprised of black residents, right? It was comprised of a melting pot of individuals. We're talking about this is 81, you know? So we had a, we, we had a population of the gay community. We had, you know, the Jewish community. We had the, the Asian community. And this is a time during slum lords, you know, where you know landlords were doing the most to get their tenants out. So, you know, there was tenants' associations uh, that you know tenants' associations were created, you know, to stop slum lords. So people got together from all walks of life in Chelsea and band together to protect their apartments from slum lords. So I was exposed to a, a diverse group of people, and it was all about community. it was all about unification. No one saw race. No one saw sexual preference. No one cared what you did, as long as you weren't hurting children, and, you know, and as long as you were uh, being kind to elders, you know, and we we all fought for a common goal to, in this case, get the slumlords to stop harassing us, uh, then, you know, uh, let's all fight for one particular goal. And then what my mom, my grandmother did, they always exposed me to uh, human rights uh, initiatives at the UN, um, especially with... Um, the issues that were going on in Africa, with uh, the various different uh, fractions that were warring, the civil wars that were happening, and the the mothers and 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 the babies being amputated. So I saw a lot of that at the age of fifteen because my family pushed me into that particular uh, conversation, and what it allowed me to do is when I started to really make, or as people would call here in America, money. You know, and I started to travel abroad. Uh it allowed me to uh seek out the people that needed. And I didn't like staying like in a hotel, you know, where you would find, you know, you know, people of a specific tax bracket. I would stay with the people or I would physically venture out to find the people. And and that's literally how I was able to start my own personal humanitarian efforts and stay in contact with individuals to the point where I have a very small Group of people, you know, north of 3000 people that still, you know, I, you know, I know for uh, two decades, because I traveled in and not from living in South America to living in Asia, you know, as, as well as the Caribbean. Um, it, I was always that person that wanted to see more for the, the underdog or the person that was destitute, um, especially the women, the men also, but the women that were just being marginalized and railroaded in these various different, um, and I'm not being derogatory, but these various different dilapidated areas around the planet because these these governments were uh, systematically and deliberately uh, oppressing these people. Um, And these people in my, from where I came from, these people were my people because they were human beings. Um, I remember living in India and, um, you know, the poverty was just, it's just so overwhelming the poverty in India, you know, and um I was I was dating this woman <laughs> and um you know she was American. She was very Americanized. And um, you know, I remember telling her, I was like, listen, when when we touch down, you know, it's a different culture. So you gotta cover yourself. Like she wasn't walking around looking, you know, half baked, but you know, like you have to have cover your belly button, all this other stuff. Um, because, you know, we have to respect the culture. And so we're driving Well, we were driving, we were getting driven. And every stop, every checkpoint, there was like a group of people that were run up with their babies. And I remember literally giving out almost $20,000. Well, I had to convert my money to rupees, which was a lot. <laughs> but I remember giving out so much money. And even when I got out the car and at certain points, you know, to go to eat dinner or, or wherever we, we were doing these excursions. Through 26 cities, I remember I, I used to wear white because when you go overseas, sometimes you know you don't know the the bugs, um, and they can they can you know but certain bugs carry you know diseases and malaria. So yes. I would wear white. I would wear white shirts all the time, so I'd see the bugs really quick, and I never forget. Um, I was I, I got out. I was wearing you know, I was wearing white shirts, and real quick, and um, I was giving out rupees, and um, these these kids were touching me, and it was fine but when they when they stopped touching me my my shirt was literally black and then i and then a security guard comes over to me he was near the atm and he takes his um his nightstick and he like swats the, the young girl um, across the uh, the arm and i was and i got angry i said why would you do that and he said because you know they're part of a gang i said how do you know they're a part of a gang they need full food he said this is what they do to tourists i said well i'm not a tourist He says, why aren't you a tourist? I said, because I know what it's like to grow up not having. So how am I, you know, I'm not a tourist. I I don't see myself as a tourist. And so he goes, he didn't understand. He says, but you're still a tourist. That same incident happened to me when I lived in Nepal. Mm. And my point for telling you this is that, you know, um, we as humanitarians have a different type of fight. We have to keep on pushing the message and educating the ignorance, okay? And, you know, the armies, because uh, a lot of people don't understand when you go overseas, it, they don't have some of these countries don't have police departments. They have armies that guard these cities, so they're I'm under sure. a different type yes. of mindset. They're under they're a they're, they're under a military type of mindset. So it's up to us to educate them, you know, because we are tourists, quote unquote. To them, we educate them, and I educated both of them, you know, and I said, you know, I can give you hundred dollars for you to really make this uh, stick in your mind and. To this day, I'm friends with those two, uh, these the, those two military uh, officers because I changed their mind. I said, "Don't just hit them. If you want to solve the issue or put be a part of the solution, you know, get involved." And uh, they Very thank sure. me. Very so sure. that's basically it. That's how I dealt with my, you know, humanitarian efforts by just teaching people and pushing the brand message Like I pushed Little Wayne's rap albums. <laughs> You
0: know when you compare and contrast that, but I love these stories I and mean, you spot on for people that didn't have a chance to travel or didn't have a chance to experience. It's it's just a very different world and a very different way. And we have to be authentic and real and genuine and then read the room or read the space in a sense and, and advocate because nobody else very often and most of the time don't advocate for for those people no one is there and if we don't do that it's it's not going to ever anything changes as just mentioned so with that in mind obviously you are being studying at Columbia a very young age you're being a dean with very interesting uh, career trajectory and accomplishing so much so early right and right now you're doing something amazing you are disrupting and innovating um, on two fronts. One is with NFT, which is big, huge buzzword. And I'm sure 90% people still don't have no clue what that means, which I really would like you to depict. And then something with of, of Nino, right? Um, sorry. It's hard. And and I would love to hear from both of those perspectives. So please just pick which one you would like to go for. And because I am eager to learn and discover more, and I'm sure, sure. our listeners and people are watching as well.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that, Isabella. Um, I So let's talk about NFT, since that's the hot topic. Uh, NFT stands for non-fungible tokens. Basically, it's a, uh, a uh, smart contract or a computer code that represents A real-world asset like your notebook, uh, your your car, um, uh, a song, a video, uh, a picture, anything in the real world, this NFT would represent on the blockchain, which everyone knows what the blockchain is. It's basically a ledger that keeps track of transactions between human beings. And you physically Purchased Bitcoin on the blockchain, and as you know, Bitcoin is a is a token or a piece of digital currency. So what an NFT is is basically a digital asset that represents something in the real world. So what me and my partner did, uh, big shout out to uh, Tony Ray, <laughs> what we did a couple of months ago was uh, we came together uh, out of just sheer happenstance because uh there were a couple of individuals that wanted us to join their organization and um we we respectfully declined uh and uh they were doing they were in nft space uh they wanted us to bring some stuff to their to their table but we said you know what we could create our own uh agency and that's what we did we started our own digital creative agency uh called nft fans agency and basically because of what the NFT space is now in terms of people dropping uh, or launching a particular NFT uh, activation with you know these various different uh, cartoon characters um, and you know of course people are paying you know Buku money you know a million for a particular cartoon character or even three hundred dollars per you know and they're dropping like five thousand at a clip, uh, which basically means that it's five thousand images and you can purchase one or 300 or even all the entire collection, if you have the money, uh, in hopes that this particular collection will be worth something down the road. So we came into the business from a standpoint that we wanted to harness our NFT activations by way of uh, going after legacy clients, legacy clients like uh, the Don King uh, activation, where we have, you know, the Don King family, Deborah King, you know, signed to us to launch the actual Don King, uh, the Deborah King, excuse me, uh, collection of NFTs, where we take all of her products and her artifacts from her family estate of him being a boxing legend and her being in the boxing world for, you know, more than four decades. And we would technically uh, convert uh, a picture, a painting, uh, some boxing gloves that were signed by, a, by you know, one of those major art, uh, excuse me, rap, rappers or artists who hear me, <laughs> one of these major boxers, because uh, we deal with uh, the music industry so much, but would take the, we would take those, uh, those artifacts from those boxers and then we would physically mint uh, that particular artifact. Uh, minting is the process in which we take the picture of, in this case, a boxing glove, and we convert it into an NFT. Uh, And when it's converted into an NFT, we then put it on an NFT marketplace, which is like an online store, and sell it to a collector who has uh, the uh, cryptocurrency that we're selling it for. And then they would basically uh, pay us, right, in uh, Ethereum, which is the choice cryptocurrency because uh, the NFT marketplace was built off of. Of the Ethereum blockchain, which was the choice of blockchain, due to the fact that Bitcoin was so it just cost too much. So when it when this industry started, Ethereum was the best cryptocurrency to buy NFTs with because it was cheap. You know, it was like a couple of dollars, a uh, couple of hundred. But the point is this: is that we were able to use Ethereum. So Ethereum blockchain it is the choice blockchain in which people buy NFTs on. Uh, and so Visa said, this is a great way for us to get into the market. We're going to go after the legacy clients uh, in the sports sector, the music sector, like the Delphonics. You know, uh, we have EPMD signed to us, which is a legacy rap group. You know, we're, we're proud to announce that we're working on the uh, NFT activation for uh, Rakim, who is one of the pioneers of flow, the way people rap. You know, Will Smith attributes his flow of the way he raps to Rakim. So we have, you know, a pioneer uh, assigned to us uh, as well as as um, as well as, uh, Raheem from uh, Grandmaster Flash, the Furious Five, which is a real, real major pioneer group from the 1980s. So we're going after legacy clients like that in which we're taking their artifacts and we're minting them into NFTs because we realize that our demographic, which is billionaires and millionaires, would see the importance of physically purchasing these types of digital assets to keep in their vault and resell it at a later time, as opposed to buying a a cartoon. Not to say that those particular types of entities aren't selling because everyone knows they are. It's just that our wheelhouse is to push the narrative of in our case, uh, legacy clients who are, in our you know from our standpoint who are forgotten or not even spoken of on the blockchain in the NFT space, and so we're excited about that. And so that's how we're disrupting the market. We're taking people, and we're we're literally talk, telling their stories, and we're we're creating many documentaries, and we're we're physically launching NFTs, uh, in in the uh, uh, first quarter of 2022, to offer to you know. Uh, clients uh, as well as customers, because yes, clients do buy <laughs> NFTs, but also these the customers uh, that uh, have the disposable income or just the, the, the cash to pay, uh, you know, equivalent to, to 000, 000 a hundred thousand to a million dollars for a Rosa Parks brick from her house, you know, uh, that's history as well as that, you know, the narrative or the mini documentary that's attached to the NFT. So that's where we are in terms of our business model with NFT fans agency. Uh, now in reference to Avnio, I'm going to switch gears. Avnio literally is, um, is our cable streaming service that I have been working on for several years now in terms of cultivating it and where, you know, because the whole uh, streaming service, uh, streaming industry has changed, but OVNIO stands for, it's an acronym and it stands for Open Vision, oh, excuse me, sorry, Open Vision International Online, okay? Um, and basically I came up with that particular name because you have to have open vision to understand, you know, the, the business model of Avnio, and uh, it was just an idea that I had uh, 14 years ago, literally. And I wanted to basically uh, promote uh, narratives of filmmakers from all over the world. But the way that I wanted to deliver their, their movies and commercials and TV shows and music videos was I was I wanted to deliver it in, in the same format or feel uh, as television that you would find on cable. Uh, the user experience, I wanted it to to literally mirror that, and no one at that time was really talking about it, and people thought I was crazy. And um, I just started building and building and building, and it's been a it's been a very um, tumultuous uh, journey uh, because you know you go through various different pivotal moments. Whether you know you you want to raise capital or you want to bootstrap, well, I'll, I'm here to tell you as a tech entrepreneur, I love bootstrapping because I don't have to answer to anyone. However, You know, taking on uh, investors is not a bad thing, and uh, we went that route, and uh, I'm excited about it. But Avnio literally is going to bring a particular user experience, in short, that will allow you to watch commercials from uh, all different corners of the earth, Uh, from a Russian rap channel to, you know, a wealth channel that you will find in America to, you know, an Afro beach channel. Uh, as well as a news channel from the Caribbean, and it's this is content that's aggregated by millennials and Gen Zs that are that are on the beat.
0: Fantastic!
1: Yeah, in that particular part of the world. Thank you very much. And so the kicker is, is that you'll be able to socialize while you watch these programs, and you'll be able to instant message other Avneo subscribers in your native language. And it, it, there's a translator that uh, that's built into the software where you can physically, um, you know, you can you can type out what you want uh, to say to a person who doesn't speak your language, and our translator will translate it, and they'll you know they'll see it on their end, and you guys can communicate. And I think it just will bring bring the world closer because everyone loves music, and music is like a universal genre that if you know some we, we hear a sound that resonates with us and but we can't communicate because we don't speak the same language but we, we move in the same unison because the music is flowing and it's going through our spirit well you know what Avnia will allow you to come closer to that person because now we have a translator built in, into our instant message uh, a mechanism our user experience allows you to do so so we do have a social network component attached to our streaming service. And the, and the last part is that you'll be able to purchase what the person is wearing in the actual uh, scene of a movie, TV show, commercial, music video, or even a live event, whether it's a concert or a, um, a political uh, campaign being streamed. So uh, we are coining ourselves as a social TV network. So we're really excited uh, on you know, launching and um, yeah, that's how we're disrupting it. You know, a lot of people think we, we're going after the cable industry, and it can look like that, but we're really not. We're standalone, and uh, we're excited about what the future is going to entail because we do feel here at Avnio that that is the future of television, which is the interactive capabilities to talk to somebody from different parts of the world and watch content that resonates with them and makes them feel good and that's that's our business model and we see a great ipo in the next several years
0: wow what an amazing journey and what amazing innovative solutions i love how you always stayed ahead of the game ahead of the curve and able to understand what's coming anticipate and not only anticipate but also create it So you mentioned NFTs and how you're helping some of your top Gone clients to also do uh, mint some of their products and who they are, what they're all about and preserve that part of the history and part of the legacy. I mean, you just said so many beautiful pieces that I'm sure people are now having their head spinning and thinking what they could possibly uh, mint and what NFT stands for in their own personal life or what they would like to create if they are not yet there, if um, obviously wanted to do something, since like, it's so applicable but also complementary with what you Doing with the, with this amazing um, TV, uh, social TV environment that I think not only you're spot on, younger generations are craving in different ways, but everybody wants more positivity, right? We want some. Yes. Real, and the way we connect, Jason, as you know already, it's either through music or through arts or through film, right? And yes. then the fourth would be like through the food. And, and for both of us who travel the world and being exposed, sometimes we would be non-verbal communication, right? But when we have these other four elements, like we connect like nothing else, right? And of course, sure. that positive aptitude that you have an attitude with smile, when people know that they feel it, they can feel safe, right? Then it's like game over, what else, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's definitely something that we are uh, truly excited about. And um, we want to, uh, you know, we want to go down in streaming history as the platform that brought people together from all walks of life. You know, uh, there are are streaming platforms that are out, uh, streaming TV apps that only allow you to see content in one particular fashion, which is a video on demand type of experience, which is Netflix, Peacock, you know, the list goes on. But there's very few, there's like, there's only two. Streaming platforms uh, that I've seen it there's a uh, Roku and then there's a uh, Pluto that uh, gives you that whole TV you know experience with a TV guy. but there's no uh, platform that combines these various different user experiences under one particular world garden which is what I uh, I've been working on and uh, that's why we're really excited to launch a, a, you know appropriately within this particular time frame. Uh, and this time period. The time period is now only because you have the insurgence of NFTs, you have the insurgence with uh, the metaverse, you have cryptocurrency exchanges like Coinbase. So all of these de- different types of business models and tech now are, are, are thriving. Yes. And uh, I, like I tell everybody, nothing beats entertainment. You know, uh, When you look up these various different cable companies in America, and look at their uh, definition, they'll tell you, we're not a cable company, we're an entertainment company first. We stream or distribute entertainment to your home through fiber optic cable. And When I learned that, I was like, you know what? That's exactly what we are too. The only difference is that we have more flexibility because we can stream directly to your mobile device and we give you the ability to buy something. We give you the ability to meet people and we also give you the ability of choice, customizing your channel lineup. So there's so many different uh, user experiences that we, we've combined that will allow a user to stay within our what is called walled garden on or on our app, and uh, and go down in history as an, as a one stop shop for for entertainment and interactivity with social networking.
0: And then shopping and then getting the stuff, I, which I yes. love that you saw one of the biggest things I always will see is like, oh my God, where can I get that when when you see something and then you don't have no idea, right? And then yes. you are also have given opportunity for people to wear what their favorite um, actor or actress is wearing or whatever it is, but also to influence the, the different culture, right? Because this is intended for obviously global reach which I absolutely love and in the same time it's bringing us global scale all closer together and giving us a opportunity to learn uh, as well as consume and exchange amazing uh cultural elements from different parts of the world kudos that is brilliant thank you
1: thank you yeah i mean i remember in 2008 when people people were like how what you know why would people you know buy something and you know when i was when, when i was knocking on the doors to various different uh Uh, television networks, you know, um, HBO, the list goes on. It's like, you know, turn a broadcast. And even though like, why why would somebody watch TV, socialize? And here we are in today's time where you have people on YouTube joining, you know, uh, chat, uh, uh, chat uh, message boards where they're watching a YouTube live event and they're chatting, you know, 300,000 people at a clip, uh, Netflix did the same thing but the question still remains which is why Instagram is, is 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 venturing in that space how can i buy what that person is wearing there are apps that that are, that are out where you can purchase stuff here and there you know and they have a mechanism on Instagram where you can you know click the dot and then you know a a, a small sub a uh, subfield will open up where you can like uh, be sent to that particular Instagram page for that clothing but again it takes you outside of the Instagram experience so what, what we're doing is we're allowing you to click our signature buy now button that's housed in our remote control where that the store will appear from that vendor and you'll be able to buy either that shirt because you saw it in the scene right in there or you can browse through a selection of clothes like that, that Either come from that particular scene or come from that vendor, so that's Brilliant. where where we're going, yeah, that's where the future is. We feel. Thank you. Appreciate that. Oh, and yeah. then
0: creating the creative future by listening, paying attention, and seeing not only opportunities but also feeling of what people crave and want, and creating again stellar experience and giving something that is going to be rememberable memorable remarkable and as you said engaging all in one place so you don't have to be on six or seven different windows and you don't feel like you're missing something out by going somewhere else and being distracted but also ultimately right this is the future that um not only from innovation standpoint is shaping that needs to happen but what consumers are already showing and expressing whether they're not happy about it the fact you were seeing that so early and being that early adopter uh it, it just said it says a lot also how you see the difference and, and and i cannot wait to see what else is coming in yes. the years to come because i'm sure you see so many other phenomenal opportunities that you're going to put in front of us so with that in mind jason but everything is so far accomplished. You already created such a remarkable uh, legacy for someone who is still so young, yet so accomplished. And we're not talking about just this amazing financial accomplishments with um, working with the top clients and some of the most prestigious names and brands in the world. But we're also talking about obviously as we mentioned earlier, humanitarian efforts and looking how to shape and create better things in the world. So what would you like to be remembered for? What would you like to meet INFT? NFT? What would you uh, pass on for generations to come, specifically your beautiful children and, 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 and everything else that, that you're foreseeing?
1: Thank you for that question, Isabel. I think that um, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's multiplex. Um, but I'll just sum it up uh, with this particular word. I want my legacy to be remembered as safe. And I'll elaborate. I wanna create safe software, right? That's not detrimental to the psyche of a, a young person whereby they stay so inundated with swiping left to right, up and down. Um, they, they can break the monotony by staying engulfed uh, in one particular user experience because they were, they were sent away from that user experience and they put the phone down and they went to either read a book or do something in the real world. Uh, that's what I want to create moving forward. And yes, the business model of when you have a platform online, you want to have early adopters and you want to have as many subscribers you want to make money. But when do we draw the line, you know, where, you know, our children all around the planet now become sucked in and inundated with one particular type of brand message or a multitude of brand messages where they never, they never leave this small device called a mobile phone and they never interact with one another you know we were in a period of time where we can be on a bus or we can be in the subway or walking you know along the street or driving on the highway and be stuck in traffic and see kids you know with their head in their phones not communicating with with one another And that psychologically can be detrimental down the road just from a social skill standpoint so i want to create safe Software, safe algorithms. It's number one. You know, uh, getting back to the word safe, my legacy, I want to create safe environments where, you know, not just Black Americans, but just human beings in general can feel safe to go in an environment and not be penalized or chastised or judged because of the color of their skin or. Uh, their creed or their sexual preference you know I grew up my mom had me around people that you know were of a particular type of ilk or a particular ethnic group Uh, they you know obviously they they were different you know their food was different but it was never a situation where you know my mom kept me away or covered my eyes because they were different it was like let's embrace you know my mom lived in Africa so you know it was like Jason, you must embrace these people because at the end of the day, you don't live on this earth by yourself. So creating a safe environment is, is something that's a passion of mine. And I think that we as humans need to come together and create safe environments and rid this whole separatist mindset, this whole separatist ideology where you know I'm different because my haircut is, is a certain way or I speak a certain way. You know, um, I think that that's just... Asinine and and truly childish and knowing you know we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, excel or succeed as humans you know if we don't create safe environments for our children's children's children to um to cohesively live in if that makes sense so that's what I want my legacy to to uh ring in people's minds you know when I transition you know so
0: Safe. That is outstanding and conceptual in the world that we live right now, and from, uh, from cybersecurity to everything else, right? Uh, I, I can I can uh, say enough. How noble that is! And not only that you are doing it and making it happen, uh, you already have that, you know, so far along. So I just wanted to kudo you for amazing vision and, and knowing yourself so well, but also reading the pulse of the world and seeing what's needed the most and tackle some of the most complex issues. And that is amazing, my friends and colleagues. So everybody that listened and watched Jason share, I want you to take a moment to also that, write down where you can connect with him. Because guess what? What he's doing, you want you don't want to miss on getting on the front uh, seat of your lunch and opportunity to uh-huh. partake. Uh, with everything that is going on, also in NFT world, and from who the best to learn than from? Guru itself, for someone who is subject matter expert and knows exactly what he's talking about. Because guess what, his top gun clientele will not embrace that. If that is not the true, that's not the case. So, with that in mind, Jason, where would you like them to go? Where would you like them to connect with you and follow you? Be able to also ask questions and engage.
1: Sure, I'm. I'm pretty simple, you know. Um, uh, I, you know, I love Gmail still, you know, um, my corporate emails are always inundated with stuff. So, uh, with generic questions and just to, you know, link up, uh, or as we, as the kids say today, check in, right. They say that on clubhouse check in, right. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram, uh, as, as uh, my name, Jason underscore a underscore Swanston. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and I am accessible, uh, or just email me as jasonswanstun at gmail.com and just hit me up. The reason why I don't give up my corporate uh, email address is because, you know, I like to meet people first before I start, you know, sending out corporate email addresses. Let's get to know each other. Let's see if we can synergistically come up with some solutions and actionable, actionable items to help change the world. So that's basically how you can reach women. Thank you so much, Isabella. I truly appreciate this opportunity to speak on your platform, be exposed to your demographic. It was truly a treat and uh, you are the best and I applaud you and I commend you for all the work that you've done here domestically as well as back uh, uh, throughout your uh, part of the world, throughout Europe. As well as parts of Africa and South America, and as well as Asia. So, you know, kudos to you. And if, if you're looking at this um, this particular uh, dissertation by me about young Isabella, get on her wave because she's a phenomenal woman and she's doing a lot. And uh, I'm giving her her flowers because if you're not giving her her flowers now, please do because you know there's a lot of change agents that don't get the the notoriety, they don't even get the Nobel Peace Prize. And um, Isabella is one of those women that needs to be recognized. And you guys got to know that she's doing a phenomenal job. And I'm pleased to be in her, her line of sight.
0: (laughs) You're so sweet. Thank you so much for giving me those beautiful flowers. uh, And she's
1: blushing. And I'm totally <laughs> <close>. <laughs> That's what I was
0: going for. You're I'm totally from Harlem. Me. You're totally <laughs> good. But I just want to say this was an absolute treat. And I love your energy. I love your honesty and sincerity and journey that you've been through. And I'm sorry to hear that was not always as easy, that was painful. But I also love with how you rise up and rise above. Uh, and I just wanted for everybody watching and listening to see what's possible. We can be victims or we can be victors. And and both of us chose to go that high road, even though it's still painful and it's not easy, but we're determined. And with the right partnership alliances, magic happens. So I just wanted to everybody to also pay attention. You don't have to do this alone. And I'm also super excited, not to be only in your eyesight and eye, eye line, but it's, it's also opportunity, obviously, to collaborate. And that is what I want everybody that's watching and listening you have so much just from one individual of this caliber, oh, like Jason. Think about it, so many others oh. in his inner circle. And then ripple in effect. And that is where magic happens, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. We are we are all God's children and we have the power, you know, to make change. We know right from wrong. You know, it's up to us to implement the right when we see the wrong, no matter how 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 bad it, it may put us in a situation, but at the end of the day, you know, what are you gonna, you know, in my, from my perspective, you know, what are you gonna say to yourself when you wake up the next day and look in the mirror and knew that you, can help, you could have helped that person make a change, you know? And I wanna live in a world where people uh, just arbitrarily help each other because they can, you know? I wanna live, you know, I grew up that way. I wanna live in a world where, you know, people don't care about, you know, somebody's sexual preference or what somebody wants to be. You know, I, I, I want people to be happy, you know, just be happy if you wanna run down the street with, you know, uh, you know, a hat on that you like that's loud, then do that, you know, I'm from that world, you know, I'm an advocate of happiness. So, and peace of mind when you grow up in inner cities, a lot of kids go through, you know, not having peace of mind. A lot of women go through not having peace of mind because they're in domestic violence situations. You know, that's everything. And I'll tell you, being around people that you know don't have peace of mind, no matter how much money they have, they they self destruct, they implode. And uh, but a lot, I know a lot of people who are poor who are happy because they don't stress. So peace of mind is everything. Um, so. Please have peace of mind. And I appreciate, again, Isabella, for you and uh, what you've done and what you're, you're doing. And I appreciate the fact that I'm allowed to uh, you know, join your team on any level, you know, so we got work to do.
0: never stops. We do. And thank you so much again. And everyone, I will put the link so you can get directly in touch with Jason. But this has been epic. Thank you so much for your time and your busy schedule for being with us on The Legacy. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you so
1: much. God bless you.
0: Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.